Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Now stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 5. We are now on Genesis chapter 5 in our series on the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters as all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. He fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from the work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Father, we thank you and bless you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to keep your people in the midst of a growing sinfulness of men. Lord, you are able to draw your people to you. And we pray, Father, that as we come to your word, Lord, change our focus from self to you. We honor you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. 
So we're now in chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, which is really set in contrast to chapter 4. So take note of that. We will always be contrasting chapter 4 and chapter 5 because that's the purpose, basically, at least one of the purposes of chapter 5 here in Genesis. And the line of Cain, as we were studying that one last week, we realized that, that the line of Cain is like a type of the world. You see a picture of the world in that family line of Cain. And now we look at the line of Seth, which basically resembles that of the godly line, that of the people whom God called to himself, the offspring of the woman, if you may. Now last week we learned that man cared not for God at all. Man cared not for God at all. Now while here in chapter 5, we see that despite of men, despite of men, God appointed some. Let me use the word appointed because that's what we find in chapter 4, verse 25. God appointed some people who would love him like the woman. And aren't we blessed that we're here today because of this heart of God. Now Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 started with this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. This is the book. And they said, um, there, was, there were really books at that time who just were listings of genealogies. And most probably Moses borrowed from it and put it on his book. So these generations are like genealogies, listing of names, which are not complete names, by the way. These are landmark names. These are landmark names. Important people in the genealogy, which just prove that a certain person down the line can really be traced back to, know, to Adam in this case. Like, like today, if you think about your lolos and your lolas, you don't go generation to generation. You just connect one lolo to the other, and there are two or three generations in between. This is not a complete genealogy. And we see a lot of this in, in the book. This is a very important uh, writing technique, if you may, of Moses. You will see this one in all of the book of Genesis. We have Noah to Abraham, and we have Abraham to uh, David. No. We have, no, we have Adam to Noah, Noah to Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. So there are a lot of genealogies that we find in the book. In fact, even the unchosen lines, if you may, we can also read of those. What we need to point out here in the generations of Adam to Noah is very important. This is in the section in the book of Genesis where the main thing that Moses is developing is the sinfulness of man. So, so you think about it. Chapter 5 is like in the middle of the sea of sinfulness. And there's already a message there. In fact, we are told in chapter 6, if you jump to chapter 6, that, that God was grieved. His heart was grieved because of the sinfulness of man. And God's solution at that part is to wipe out men. From the whole, from whole birth through the flood. So you can just imagine how sinful man has become. And there is no reason for us to think that this, these people here are, are exceptions to those people. That, that is not the, the lesson. Like, like in Shep, like all the people were sinful and thanks be to God that there were people who chose to live for God. That's not the, re that is not the, the, the truth there. But instead, in the, in the sea of sinfulness, God was able to appoint people to himself. God was able to preserve the line, the redemptive line, the people who would love him, the people who, whom he has chosen. And look at this, because this is genealogies. This then tells us that from generation to generation, from generation to generation to generation to generation, God is able to raise up. A people for himself. Gihardus Voss wrote, commenting on this, 
It is the continuity of redemption that is stressed here. When we look at Genesis chapter 5, the, the first thing that we need to think about is that God is preserving the plan of redemption. The plan of redemption. So then, Genesis 5, it is in contrast to chapter 4, but instead of saying, man cared not for God at all, but then in chapter 5, instead of saying, well, there are some people who cared for God, no, that's not the contrast. The contrast is, chapter 4 says, man cared not for God at all, and then chapter 5 says, these are the people whom God cares. And that's why our title this morning, The People Whom God Cares. Now we dive into the text and ask, what will define the people whom God cares? What are the things they should be known for? Because in everything, have, have you ever thought about it? That the life of a person would already show you what he lived for. The kind of life that we're living would already show us, what am I living for? Just, just look at your schedules. Just look at your daily life. Just look at how you live your life, and you would, it would bring you to your heart. It would bring you and tell you what you are living for. And I hope and I pray, church, that as we look at our lives, examine our lives, it is telling us that we live for God. So here we will be looking at what will define the people whom God cares. The first that we find here in Genesis chapter 5, is that people whom God cares will be defined by their focus on God's redemption. The people whom God cares, the people whom God has chosen, the people whom God has saved from the world, and today the church, the church will be defined by their focus on God's redemption instead of the world, instead of the world. I think they should call us to think about ourselves. Am I even concerned? Am I even concerned for the work of the Lord? Or I just think of how to survive here on earth. So we have to understand again that chapter 5, Seth's line, is set in contrast to chapter 4, Cain's line. So if we are able to see chapter 4 and what is the focus of Cain's line, then we would understand chapter 5. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 4 for a moment. Let's start reading verse 17 down to verse 24. Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, it reads, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Meujael, and Meujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other is Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and harp. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Take note of that. Jabal was the father of those who dwell in tents and livestock. Jubal was the father of all those who play lyre and harp. And Tubal-Cain was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. In other words, they were world leaders at their time. They were advancing in technology. They were the ones who, who lead the pack on these things, on, on the development of the world during that time. Now, these things are not wrong in itself. Don't get me wrong. These things are not evil in itself. The progress of the world is not wrong in itself. We use our cell phones, isn't it? And I believe uh, the, the worship team of Israel at the time used the lyre and the pipe. We, we enjoyed what these people would come up. However, 
I also believe, I'm just thinking, did the line of Seth never really started something? I believe so. But for sure, in chapter 5, it's not written down. Nothing like that is written. What is Moses' purpose here? What is Moses' purpose in pointing this advancement that the line of Cain accomplished? It's the very question for us. Now, we learned last week that God cursed Cain. And God told Cain, the ground will no longer yield its strength for you. You were a man of the ground. That's your livelihood. But you know what? You will never grow crops anymore. And then we learn that he left the presence of God. Right? In verse 16. In fact, Adam, it was God who pushed him out of the garden. But we see here Cain, he was intentional. When, when finally he got the assurance of God that he would be safe. Verse 16 tells us that he left the presence of God. Now notice that carefully. Because this shows that Cain, for Cain, he was like saying, I don't need God, I can do it. And then we read in verse 17 that he built a city. And then in verse 20 to 22, we read of these advancements or development from Cain's line. Therefore, in the storyline, they did all they can to progress in these things because they refused to depend on God. They wanted to show that we can do this. We can flourish without God. We don't need God. In fact, here it is. We want to show that we can live on our own. It's like saying, you cursed me from the ground. No problem. I will build a city for myself. I will build a city for myself. One commentator wrote, Cain's punishment was that he would be a wanderer. But here he is taking steps to create for himself. To create, he left the presence of God, but he create for himself and others a permanent habitation. So again, there is no problem with advancing in this world. There is no problem with those things. The problem here is when one seeks for progress, that he might live independently of God. This is the problem that we find here. This is to show, this is Cain's arrogance. This is to show to God that he can live without God. You see, if all you have, like Cain, if all you have is what is yourself and the things you do and the things you have, then it is no wonder why you can focus on nothing but how to gain in this world. It explains your trust in, into it. Their trust is into it. This occupied their mind. I have no other hope but that which I could come up for myself. This is the world's passion. This is the passion of Cain's line. However, we do not read that one in chapter 5. We do not. There is nothing like that being mentioned here. What we read in chapter 5, the, the line of Seth, is first and foremost, they were people who call upon the name of the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 26. And then they sought to live in accordance to God's design, they wanted to reflect the glory of God, which I will be discussing more when we get to point number two. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. They lived a full life. And we also find Lamech, the same Lamech name, at least the name, expressing his faith on the coming Redeemer when he named his son Noah. This is to show them that if chapter 4, their focus is the progress of the worldly things, then chapter 5, the line of Seth, their focus is the redemptive work of God. 
is the work of the Lord, is the redemption that God has promised. This is not to say, of course, that they were so passionate for God or they have lived for God alone. Yet Moses used this. Moses used this to show that they did not progress with the arrogance of the line of Cain. Have you ever thought of it, that one of the reasons why the world wants to accomplish things is to show that they can do what God can do? And man has been attempted, attempting to do things to prove that they can without God. As always with God's people, if you are a true people of God, you don't flow with the world, don't we? Shouldn't we? Amaba. Do we? We don't flow with the world. We don't flow especially with the sinful ways of the world. Someone is clear. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We don't. We have a different passion. We have a different focus. Or at least these people here in chapter 5, or for us supposedly, we do not live our lives proudly to prove that we can live without God. But rather hold on to the redemption that God promised. We hold on. One thing for sure, Moses was showing that the line of Seth, again, we're not, in, we're not in pride, primarily focusing on the things of this world. Because they were not trying to live independent of God. But they hold on to the promises of God. And we learn from the rest of the scripture that the people of God will be defined by this focus. The people of God will focus on what God is working. Think of this. Think of how this would give the people in the wilderness to whom Moses was originally writing the right focus. They were in the wilderness. They were devoid of things. Going towards the promised land. Think about it. I may not have all these things because I am in the wilderness. But God will redeem us. God will bring us to the promised land. And that will keep them going. In the New Testament, Romans 8.23 says this one. And not only the creation, talking about redemption, not only the creation, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's our hope there. We put our hope on that redemption. Our Redeemer has come already. We were in James in last Wednesday, and we learned that what the people of God is waiting in the midst of suffering, what we primarily wait in the midst of suffering, is not to be free from our suffering, per se. What we're waiting in the midst of our suffering is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is our hope. But we have to understand this. That if Jesus has to come, Jesus himself said in Mark 13 verse 10, this is the work of redemption. This is the work of God today. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So church, here's the question. What is your focus? What are, I, I know that we, are, we see a lot of luck in our lives. And I know there is a, no problem to desire to be successful. There's no wrong. No, my problem is that when we are preoccupied on these things and we do not even think about the redemptive work of God, there is a big problem when we just live like the rest of the world, as if we still do not understand where history will be going. 
As if we still did not, do not understand that the Redeemer has come already and has died on the cross. Are we like the, like, are we like the line of Cain, so to speak, whose focus is how to progress in the world per se? Or if you are to be honest, if you are to be honest, church, do we even care for the work of the Lord? Do we even, are we even concerned of what is going on in the work of the Lord? How sad would that be? How sad would that be when the people who are supposed to be concerned of the work of the Lord is also as concerned as the world as far as the progress or how to progress in this world? Remember, that the people of God will be defined by their focus. And I'm praying, I'm praying, all of us are growing, all of us will fail. But I'm praying, at least in our hearts, we know that there is a genuine concern for the work of the Lord. And if you are stuck somewhere, you always know that I have a desire, one day I can get over this hump and serve God. And be able to make a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this focus, this would lead us to our second point. The people of God would live a radically different life. The people whom God cares will be defined by their radically different life. That's just it in all of the scripture. Believers are supposed to live differently. We're supposed to be different. Because we could not be alive if we're camouflaging with the rest of the world. Since chapter 5 is set in contrast to chapter 4, we will now point out some contrast between chapter 4 and chapter four, 5. Specific contrast. And we will find four things, four descriptions of a radically different life of those whom God cares. First, a people who seek to, glor- to reflect the glory of God. They are a people whose passion is to glorify God. Mo- Moses hinted us with this by bringing us back to how God created Adam and how Seth was like Adam. And while Cain is also Adam's son, we don't read of any of this in chapter 4. Now let's read again verses 1 to 3. It reads, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So it brings remembrance to the garden. Verse 2, Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named them men when they were created. So notice at the start, like a generic name, the man and the woman is called man. Like, like today, if you want to distinguish a girl from an animal, you don't say, you're not an animal, you're a woman. No. <laughs> when we distinguish ourselves from the rest of creation, whether man or woman, you're a man, right? This is just the generic. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130, 330 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. And named him Seth. So again, what these verses is showing is that in the image and like is that the image and likeness of God is still with man despite the fall. That the image and likeness of man is still with us despite of the fall. In verse 1, again we are reminded of Genesis 1:26. God created man after his own image and likeness. And then in verse 2, we see the, the actions of God. He created man, he blessed man, and then he named man. And these three actions of God, at least two, are reflected in verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered. And really, fathered there is not fathering. It's like he bore a son. He bore a son. And this is the line of Seth. And the emphasis there is on procreation. 
on procreation. And by doing so, as a procreator, it reflects God being the creator. That's our calling. We have been made to reflect the glory of God. Also notice that God named Adam, and Adam named Seth. I was thinking today, we can just name our, our whatever name we want to have our children. But at that time, it was actually a reflection that they were created after God's own image and likeness. Adam, without any dictionary, come to think of it. Today we have dictionaries. We can refer to a word coined 100 years ago. There was nothing like that for Adam. Everything is new. Like when, God, when Adam said, mm, I'll call you dog. That's the first time. That's genius. That's genius because that's the first time he coined this word. So when he came, coined the word self here, it was like a reflection of the capacity of God. Being able to name uh, somebody. So the image of God, as we look at it, the image of God is still with man. It is corrupted for sure. Sometimes we look like the devil than looking like God. But it is not totally lost. It's there. It's not totally lost. In fact, let me sidebar a little. This is where common grace comes from, comes in. You know what common grace? Common grace is a grace of God. The, the, the people in people na hindi po nakakilala sa Panginoon, would even enjoy. The reason why the pagans in the mountains, if you go there, they, they're worshiping a form of God. is because it is in them. They were created for God. They were created moral beings. And somehow in our heart of heart, we know that we are created to worship some, someone bigger than us. It's, it's still with us. However, to reflect the glory of God as a creation itself is different from having it as a passion. It is different when I say, when people look at me, God is glorified because they will see how God created me. And it's another thing when I myself would live for the glory of God. Do we follow? So we Christians, we who believe in God, we do not just reflect God's glory because of how he created us. It is our passion. We see this one when we begin to, when we begin to compare um, the second son from Adam through Cain and the second son of Adam through Seth. Look at this. One difference that we see here is that Cain's son, Cain built a city, and he named that city after his own son, Enoch. The second son, or the son of Seth, Enosh, started calling upon the name of the Lord. Look at the contrast there. One called it after the name of his son. The other were calling upon the name of the Lord. There is a play there that we have to see. Which we begin to realize it is either, it is either you live to show your own greatness. We built a city on rock and roll. We built a city naming it Enoch. Or you live to show the greatness of God. And the best way to show the greatness of God is when we are dependent on God. Because when we are dependent on God, we are saying, I have nothing to prove. And I am not ashamed to, to show that I am weak. I am not ashamed to, to admit that I am not strong apart from God. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. Later on in the book of Genesis, this is a big teaching. Every time you see an altar being made, Abraham made an altar to God. Isaac made an altar to God. Noah built an, art, built an altar to God. Isaac built an altar to God. Jacob built an altar to God, which shows that the people of God are people who calls upon the name of God. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name, give glory. For your steadfast 
for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Psalm 115 and verse 1. And of course, the New Testament says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In other words, the people whom God cares are people who do not just simply reflect the glory of God by virtue of being a creation of God. But they are the ones whose passion is to reflect the glory of God. Like the, science, like the line of Seth, we are not trying to show that we can live on our own. We are not, again, afraid that we are not that strong. I'm amazed at this, especially in the men's ministry. You know, men, like, like women, when they are having their small group, they can go to three to five hours. Believe me when I say that. <laughs> we're done with our small group, and then it's Sunday afternoon, we're done in our small group. I watched TV already, and then I went up, they're still in question number two. Tipid masyado yung men to share. And many times I hear them saying, Pastor, the hardest thing to, to confess is to, is to admit that we are weak. That we are weak. But the people of God, real men, real men, would not think twice to say, I cannot do this. I remember Zoe when during their wedding, just getting inside my, in, I think in her um, vow, when he, when he said that he saw Pastor Job crying uh, because he said, Wala na talaga. Whatever left for the wedding. And then Zoe said in her vow, that's when I know that I, I am going to marry the, marry the right man. Exactly. We, um, we don't hesitate to say we're weak and we're just dependent on God because we're living to show the glory of God. We're living to show how great God is and not how great we are. Second thing is that the people of God is a people who enjoy the fullness of life. People who enjoy the fullness of life. That's, that's us. We enjoy fullness of life. We, we worship. Not so that, Lord, I worship you, you will give me. No, we worship because we're enjoying it already. Don't we? His goodness. In verse 2, we are reminded that God blessed Adam. And somehow, this is in the line of Seth's, we then begin to realize that this line, we're living in God's blessing. The blessing of God to the line of Seth is evident on the recorded years of their lives. Notice carefully that in chapter 4, nothing like that is, is mentioned. But in chapter 5, we read of this, Adam lived 930 years, verse 4. Seth, 912 years, verse 8. Enosh, 905 years, verse 11. Kenan, 910 years, verse 14. Mahalalel, 895 years, verse 17. Jared, 962 years, verse 20. We see this over and over in chapter 5. What is more important here, as I've said earlier, this is not a complete list of genealogy. There is a theology here. Why did they write all this? Is this to envy us? Because at 50, I could no longer run. But they, they started bearing a son at 130 years, like they're just beginning with life. No, there's a theology that wants to convey here. Theologians are saying that this is to show that the line of Seth lived a full life. 
which, by the way, if we look at the Old Testament, is an indication of God's blessing. Right? Like Adam lived, or Abraham lived a good old age, and then he died. Especially in the book of, of, of Abraham, Isaac was so old. And I love it. Like, like Jacob left for some 20 years and went back. And I thought, you will not be able to reach on time. Isaac will be dead when you get back, Jacob. But then we, we read, like, he buried his own father. It is a theology there that shows that they had the, the, the blessing of God. Most especially in the numbering at the time, and I will not do a lot of acrobatic, but they said that's how they look at it at the time. Most especially if you look at Enoch. Enoch, the line of Seth. And it says there, he lived 365 years. And the understanding during that time is 365 is a full year. It's a full year, which signifies and symbolizes a full life. They lived the fullness of life. And while this is no longer true today, you want anyone, anyone who wants to live 962 years. And we used to do this time, like if you're 60, they will put 60 candles for you to blow. Imagine if there are 960 candles you have to blow. But that was just symbolic of a fullness of life. But we know that in the, in the New Testament, even in the rest of the Old Testament, that fullness of life is really not in the number of years. It is in the quality of life in Christ Jesus. It is in the quality of life in the presence of God. It is the quality of life of those people who have that intimate relationship with God. Psalm 1611. In your presence are is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a very important picture to, to take note here. Chapter 4, they were advancing in, 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 in all this technology. They were world leaders. Chapter 5, no. But we are told that in chapter 5, these people experience fullness of life. Isn't that a, a message there? You can, you can advance this world. You can be whoever you want to be, but it doesn't mean you're living the whole life, fullness of life. That's why Moses, God through Moses said, choose, choose. But God said, choose life. Live your life in obedience to God and experience his blessing. Live your life in Christ Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Start living for Him because you may be like Cain. You can, you can be the father of. But you'll never experience the fullness of life. Psalm 127 verse 2 reminds us of this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil when God takes care of his people. For he gives to his beloved sleep. So the people of God is defined by their satisfaction. By their satisfaction. There's a confession I want you to make. And I was repenting this morning. Um, early morning today, it was when I look at the least of those people who are coming today. And I see the number of people dropping. It's really dropping huge. But I know why you're here. I think a lot of you did not register. But, but I then begin to feel my heart. I was, I was sitting there at 2 a.m. and asking the Lord, why is my heart like this? And I do not want to preach, Lord, behind the pulpit because I want to achieve something as if I'm not yet satisfied. 
And you have to change my heart, Lord, because I do not want to give your people the garbage in my heart. And then I look at my, I reviewed my preaching today. And then I realized, no, I have to stand behind the pulpit as a person satisfied in life. Because I have him. Because I have Christ who is greater than anything of this world. Are you living a satisfied life? Because if not, you will step on others' toe to get what you think you need instead of building up people because you know you have a right. Thirdly, a people who walk closely with God the people who walk closely with God. There's a very beautiful thing here. Number seven is a, a complete number in the scripture. It started when God created everything. It says there he created everything in seven days. And then it will be used over and over again. The seven is like complete. That's why Satan is 666. Because it shows that he is fake. He is not the God. God is seven, so to speak. There is some, and then the seventh son from Adam in the line of Cain is Lamech. And the seventh son from the line of Seth is Enoch. And look at the difference between the line of Cain, between Lamech and Enoch. Lamech, of course, we know that his self-centeredness is off the chart. He said, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. Like 77-fold times of self-centeredness, if you may. On the contrary, look at Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam through Seth. Gen Genesis 5, 21 to 23. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. How about that? Your life is so short, no other details about your life, but you walked with God. How about, how's, how's that for an epitaph? Right? Enteng Ramoneda did not walk with God. How's that for an epitaph? A man who walked with God. That, that already says everything. And twice here that he was called a man who walked with God in verse 22 and then in verse 24. And notice at least at this point in the book of Genesis, Noah was also called a man who walked with God in chapter 6 and verse 9. Gerhardus Voss wrote, To walk with God points to a supernatural intercourse with God. Oh, well, see, Gardus Voss is a theologian, one. Secondly, he's a Dutch. So, a supernatural intercourse with God. But I would just say, it's a real relationship with God. I think that's easy. That, that Enoch had this intimate, real relationship with God. Like, everyone has a relationship with God, isn't it? Everyone. The only question is, what kind of relationship do you have with God? Because you can be an enemy of God, but that's still a relationship. As far as believers is concerned, the Bible, is, the Bible uses all intimate relationship to describe it. For example, Abraham and even Moses was called, were called the friend of God. And the New Testament really goes off the chart because we are to call God Abba. 
Our daddy, Abba Father. So then we begin to see that this, this terminology, these metaphors in our relationship with God tells us that those who really believe in God has this close, intimate, real relationship with God. A closeness, understand this, a closeness before and after the fall that only God can cement. Only God can build such a relationship more so after the fall. Like no human being after the fall can be close to God unless God takes the initiative. Isn't it? Then we begin to see here that those whom God called to himself have this special relationship with him. And this is expression, not only that it tells of the intimate relationship with God, it right away tells us of a righteous life, isn't it? Enoch walked with God. You know that he lived a righteous life. In fact, if you look at Adam, sorry, Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, not only did he walk with God, he was also described as blameless and righteous. So Enoch lived intimately with God and righteously before God. That's very important. And the shocking thing here, after he cemented it, Enoch has this relationship with God. We are then told in Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. For God took him. It did not say, it did not go along the pattern and then he died. For God took him. That's not what it says. The deviation from the pattern. The pattern is that he lived for another years and then he died. That's the pattern in Genesis. The deviation from the pattern tells us that Enoch did not die. He was transported to heaven. So it is not like God took him because of sin. Because we are told that he lived a full life, 365 years. By the pattern, and then he died, we understand the message here. This is a clear message. That death does not have a hold on those who have a right relationship with God. Death does not have a hold of, of those who has a relationship with God, isn't it? Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God take, has taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Because he pleased God, he did not see death. One author wrote, This is to show that death could never sever their intimate relationship with God. Death could not sever our relationship with God. This already prefigures. This already shows a picture of the resurrection, primarily of Christ, and then to the believers. Although that's not how they think at the time. Christ's resurrection, the true righteous, though, is unique. He was the one who really pleased God. He was the one who was truly righteous. Who's the one who was that inseparable intimacy with the Father. Unlike Enoch, though, or Elijah, he died. So does Enoch better, is ben, Enoch better than Christ? Because he did not die. Well, Christ had to die. 
because the curse of our sin should fall on him. But unlike our resurrection as believers, who would wait for the second coming of Jesus so that we would have that resurrected bodies of ours? Jesus conquered the grave. He rose after three days. He conquered sin and death. And only through Jesus can we too, can we also say that death has no hold of me. 1 Corinthians 15, 4b-7, it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have this hope. So if you're saying, that's my hope. My hope is that I will not be severed from God. Death could not sever me from God. I can say with Paul that to die is gain. The question here is, do you also walk with God? Because the only way we can be certain that that's also our hope right now in the side of the cross is when like Enoch or like Christ or like Abraham or like Jacob or like Isaac or like Moses or like Joshua or like David or like the, the judges or like the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah or like the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ and the great men in the past is when you can also say, in my generation, I am walking with God. I am living for the Lord. That's my hope. Because my life resembles that of the people of God, that of the men of God. How then can we say that's my hope if we're not living for God? Every man of God, everyone whom God calls to himself and the Holy Spirit unites himself to them. They walk with God. God's people will walk with him. They live an intimate relationship with God and righteously live before God. Fourthly, they are a people who believe on the redemption of God. That's our hope again. Look at that. Cain's line is dropped on the seventh while sets continued to the tent. And tent is another completeness, is another number for completeness. In other words, from generation to generation, those whom God truly calls to himself will believe in his redemption. Lamech's faith is displayed by naming his son Noah. Genesis chapter 5, 28, it reads, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Noah means relief or comfort, or most especially, rest. This one will give us rest. Rest from what? The ground that the Lord has cursed. In other words, he will deliver us from the curse. High hopes for, no, for Lamech, right? And although the curse that Lamech mentioned here, again, is Genesis 3.17, the course of the ground, and Noah became a man of the ground like the new Adam in Genesis chapter 9. Ultimately, though, because eventually they were not delivered from the curse of the ground, it is ultimately an expression of faith, of being delivered from the coming judgment. 
which would it is an expression of faith that the coming redeemer there will still be a coming redeemer Kenneth Matthews wrote the naming of Noah anticipates his critical role in the following flood narrative where he while not achieving his father's highest aspirations probably Lamech really think that his son would deliver them, keeps alive the hope of a final deliverer. Imagine if all died, including Noah's family, or Noah. Then it would be good for us because we wouldn't have been born. But how about Noah? Or how about Adam? Or how about Noah? How about Seth? They would not have a redeemer. And they will all suffer the curse throughout the eternity. But because Noah was preserved, there is still hope that the coming redeemer will come. This basically describes the line of Seth. They were waiting for the redeemer. In fact, all the Old Testament people they were living their lives to show their faith that a Redeemer will come. I mean, come to think about it. Let's just talk about this. Come to think about it. You're offering a goat. You're offering a bull. You're offering a sheep, whatever. You're offering a pigeon. And come to think about it. Come to think about it. You would probably come to a point of saying, this is, this is in vain. I can always raise up another bull, but, but can that blood really pay for my sins? And that is why every time they offer, it is actually an expression that somebody will be offered one day. Not this bull, not, nor any of these animals. They were living in anticipation for their coming Redeemer. So although Lamech had his high hope on his son Noah, Noah, of course, we know that he is not the Redeemer. The Redeemer who will eventually reverse the curse is not Noah. Later on, Noah would be naked and get drunk, deserving of the curse himself. But he who is innocent, he who is blameless, he whom the Bible said he was tempted in every way like we are, yet we did not sin. We are told that curse is he who hangs on the tree. And then we are told that the blessings of Abraham will come upon those who put sin. In other words, he reversed the curse because the curse fell on him. If the Old Testament people did everything they did, if they did everything they did as a display of their faith that the Redeemer will come, we, after Jesus came, are no different. But most especially, you, we have seen what God has done. We have seen God piercing His own Son crushing his own son, that the curse might be reversed. We should live our lives displaying our faith on our Redeemer. Is that how we live our lives? And if we are living our lives displaying our faith in Jesus, then we should see ourselves working the work of the Lord. The people of God whom God cares will differ in their focus on God's redemption instead of the world, instead resulting to a radically different life. This chapter of the book of Genesis should encourage us who live for the work of the Lord, knowing that while the influence of the world to sin and worldliness. Can you feel that? Like Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 6, 
but the whole mankind was sinful. Can you sense that it is still true today? Like there's so much sin. And you open your Facebook, you are led somewhere else, but not God. And, and how encouraging is this to know, however strong the influence of the world, God will continue to advance his work in bringing people to Christ, that Christ may come again and will redeem all things. Church, listen, this is our hope. This is our hope. And if this is our hope, then we align our lives to that. We live to do the work of the Lord wherever God has placed us. And again, we His people should display that faith by our focus and by our lives. What do you focus today? What do you live for? Whatever you will achieve here on earth, it will still be nothing to what we will enjoy when Jesus returns. Let's come before God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bless and thank you for your goodness. Bless and thank you for calling us in we could not boast of anything, Lord. We are like the rest of the world, as sinful as the world. But you remembered us out of your grace and out of your mercy. And Father, it is our prayer as a church that we will be able to focus on you, we'll be able to focus on your redemption, and we'll be able to live our lives for you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.